It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, and it's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to take a look at the numbers, courtesy of the numbers nerd over at JetsXFactor.com. He is, of course, the man that we named this show for, the Chronicles of Nania, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, buddy? How was your 4th of July? Uh, I think mine was as a lot of other people's were a little more uneventful. Oh, a little more uneventful than it, it usually was. But uh, I'm ready to get into some Jets tears here, and and that's how we celebrate Fourth of July weekends. Looking at uh, how guys like Lawrence Cager and George Campbell are <laughs> the Jets in training camp. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of the Fourth of July. Honestly, if you're a big football fan, is that you know that training camp is right around the corner, and so football season is going to start soon. So that's where discussions about guys like Lawrence Cager and Bryce Huff become important because now we get to see them up close and personal. Well, not up close and personal in training camp like normal because that's not going to be open to the public this year, but eventually we are going to be able to see them in the preseason, and obviously we're going to get reports about how they look during training camp. So let's start with the undrafted free agents because, Michael, you broke down the entire roster and guys that are trying to make the roster in tiers, ways that we should categorize these guys, everything from undrafted free agents Agent long shot all the way up through potential franchise player. So let's start with those undrafted free agents. Some of these guys are longer shots than others, but obviously anytime you're coming in here as a free agent who wasn't drafted, the odds are never going to be in your favor. So let's talk about these guys first. How do you categorize them? And I know that you broke even the undrafted free agents down into categories over at JetsXFactor.com, but take me through your categorization of who you think has a realistic chance of sticking, guys that you think probably don't have any real chance, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I broke the nine undrafted free agent signings into three different tiers, got two guys who are long shots. Uh, Well, they're all long shots, obviously, but even relatively to being an undrafted free agent, two long shots, five guys who are about average for an undrafted free agent and two guys who I think have better than average chances than most undrafted free agents typically do. So to start the long shots, I put went with the two defensive linemen, Dominique Davis and Sterling Johnson. The Jets are stacked at the defensive line. They have Quinn Williams, Steve McClendon, Foley Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, Henry Anderson, Kyle Phillips, if you want to consider him a part of that unit. Uh, so it's a really stacked position. They were very good there last year, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for any extra players to make it there. And I guess there is, uh, if you can take all those players, that's six or seven. So I guess you could fit one more in there. But uh, just considering the depth there, it seems like those two guys are more so long shots 
than usual. And I think Davis got something ridiculous, like a $60 guarantee from the Jets. So uh, that tells you about everything you need to know uh, about what they think of his chances. But to move on to the guys who have, I think, pretty average chances relative to undrafted free agents, I went with the three corners they signed and the two receivers. So the corners, Javelin Guidry, Lamar Jackson, and Shaheem Carter. Uh, those three guys, I think, cornerback is a position where the Jets do have a lot of depth now after they signed uh, they picked up Pierre Desir, traded for Quincy Wilson, drafted Bryce Hall. So they have a lot of depth there, but they don't have a top-end star there. And there's it's a, a wide-open competition, even though all those guys are NFL caliber and will probably make the team. There still isn't a guy on there who's even a surefire number two corner. So uh, if any of those undrafted corners can step up in a big way, I think there's definitely room for them to make the team. Then I receiver, Lawrence Cager and George Campbell, the Jets are wide open at receiver. That That's a position that is probably the weakest on the roster. Uh, if you're looking at the offensive side of the ball in terms of the depth, uh, they just do not have a lot there. You're looking at a second-round rookie, a, a guy, Brashad Perriman, who had literally one good month in his career as a, a solid starter, as your projected number one and number two outside receivers. So they ha- have a lot of need for depth there. So wide receiver is wide open, but with Cager and Campbell, the issue is – they're just not great prospects. They were redshirt seniors who were extremely injury prone in their careers and didn't produce much at all until their final seasons after transferring. Uh, and even then they didn't produce that much and still battled injuries. Uh, Campbell had 52 yards per game, only 19 catches, but he did score 17 touchdowns. Uh, and Cager was around the same uh, in his final season. So those two guys, I it is a wide open position but I'm not sure if they're really NFL quality prospects, but we'll see. It's a wide open uh, race for them to put their names into the ring. And then the two guys who I think have relatively decent chances for an undrafted free agent, I'm going with Bryce Huff and Jared Hill. Jared Hilbert's a tackle from Washington. Hilbert's got the biggest guarantee out of any of the offensive undrafted free agents, $62,000. And uh, offensive line, obviously we know what the situation is there. The Jets have a huge, had a huge need at every single position coming into this offseason. Uh, and tackle right now is their biggest need out of, all those, out of all those positions. Right now, you only have George Fan and Truma Idoga uh, competing for those two tackle spots on the right side. Obviously, you have Becton, but they could really use, uh, they really need help with that right tackle spot. Uh, and so, if Hilbers can step up and even compete with one of those two guys, because we know how much Idoga struggled last season. Uh, and George Fan obviously has been very, very volatile in his career, doesn't have a lot of experience as a starter. So not a lot of proven talent there. So if Hilbers can step up, he played really well for Washington this past season, only 12 pressures allowed, 85th percentile in pressure rate among tackles nationwide. So if he can step up, that'd be huge. And Bryce Huff, he got the largest guarantee of any of these undrafted free agents, 90,000. Uh, he was one of the top pressure producers at edge in the entire nation, fourth in, in the FBS with 64 pressures. So, and the Jets at edge as well are desperate for some help there in the pass rushing game. And he provides that speed and juice off the edge that they don't really have elsewhere. So that's, I think that sums it up for the undrafted guys. I think Huff and Hilbers have the best chance out of the nine uh, undrafted pickups. The undrafted free agents are the ones that have the lowest chance of making the roster. But then from there, you categorize the bottom of the roster competitors. So these are guys that are here right now, but they're certainly not locks to make the team. 
How did you break these guys up? Yeah, so I sorted these uh, these bottom of the roster competitors into two different groups. The ones that are new to the team, didn't play for the Jets last year, and the ones who did play a little bit with the Jets in the regular season, just because that does give them a slight edge, having at least some experience in the scheme with the coaching staff, because the Jets are going to have a lot of continuity with that staff this year, bringing over pretty much the entire group from last season. So I think it is a little bit of an edge to have played for the team, but uh, I'm not going to name all these guys. There are about 20 of them here, but these are the names who, when you look at the roster, just you know the random names that either they picked them up off of waivers, off of a practice squad, uh, players like that who are not as much of a long shot as the undrafted free agents because a lot of these guys actually have made teams. But talent-wise, players who you're not expecting to do much more, if they do make the team, then appear on special teams, maybe be on the inactive list each week. So uh, these are the names who I think are probably do, do have a decent shot of making the team, probably half of them will make the roster or a quarter to a half of them. But uh, for the most part, not a lot. You're not expecting a lot out of these guys. And hopefully you have your, your rookies and some of your younger players uh, surpass them on the depth chart. After bottom of the roster competitors, you've got third string level players. Now, some of these guys are guys that have some potential to do something in the future, but they're not likely to do much this season. How did you break those guys down? So I kind of went with it from a current talent perspective. Some of these guys, as you said, there are some young players in here who could turn out pretty good down the line. There's uh, one rookie in here. Uh, But for the most part, I looked at it as what they're bringing to the table right now. So these players are third-string quality players. So I'll list them out. At quarterback, we have James Morgan and David Fales, Daniel Brown at tight end, Josh Doxson at wide receiver, Blake Cashman at linebacker, Nate Harrison at cornerback. On the offensive line, we have Josh Andrews. And Jonathan Harrison, who was starting for the Jets for much of these past two seasons. And uh, just a, uh, an example of how much the Jets were struggling with talent on the offensive line. Matthias Farley at safety and then on the edge, Frankie Louvu, Jordan Willis, and Harvey Lange. So those are the guys who I think are third string quality. But a big problem with the Jets roster recently is that players like this have been starting. I mentioned Jonathan Harrison. Daniel Brown got uh, quite a few snaps for the Jets this past season. Blake Cashman was starting at the beginning of the season once the two starters went down and Mosley and Williamson. Uh, so the goal this season for the Jets and going forward is obviously to have players like these in the roles that they're supposed to be in, and that's actually playing third string rather than being third string quality players who are starting for you. And if the Jets can draft well under Douglas, then they should be able to accomplish that. But looking at this list, uh, one thing that does stand out to me is Harrison and Andrews and where those two guys slide in as backups on the offensive line. I don't think there's any chance either of those guys start at, at center or guard barring injury, but they do have a, both have a decent chance of making the team. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they both do make the team and if they do uh, what positions they play throughout the preseason, if there is a preseason. Uh, and then once the season comes along uh, where those guys slide in on the depth chart. And then they're, they are probably going to play at some point. Injuries happen quite a bit on the offensive line and the Jets with Alex Lewis. Uh, Alex Lewis has had some injury questions throughout his career, so he could go down at some point. So uh, either Andrews or Harrison is probably going to get some, uh, some starts this season. So it'll be very key for those two guys to play well, whichever one of them or both of them gets thrown in at some point. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Michael, you broke up the kickers into their own category, and right now the two that are going to be in this competition are Sam Ficken, who was here last year, and Brett Marr. Neither one of these guys did very well last season. You have to be a little nervous about this. As I told you before we started recording, I'm kind of hoping that a good kicker somehow becomes available via release at some point unexpectedly and the Jets are able to swoop in. But this is a category that's important because as we know, sometimes, especially when you're a team like the Jets, where you might win or lose based on a very slim margin, the kicker position becomes crucial down the stretch of a game. So if a kicker is able to make that last second kick, hell, we saw it with the Dolphins last year when they barely squeaked by the Dolphins because Sam Ficken actually had a good day. Could happen again this season, certainly. So this bears watching. Tell me about how you broke down Ficken and Marr. Yeah, it's a little disappointing they didn't make a more aggressive move at the kicker spot, especially after the debacle they went through at the beginning of last season and how bad Ficken was throughout the season. Ficken ranked 30th out of 33 qualifiers with a 70.4 field goal percentage, and Maher was two spots behind him at 66.7%. So you got two of the three worst kickers, two of the four worst kickers, Uh, qualifiers in terms of field goal percentage from last year so not all that promising to say the least Uh, but there is some interesting upside with Maher because he's had 
some incredible feats in terms of distance. He's the only kicker already. He's only played two seasons. He's already the only kicker in history with three career kicks of over 60 yards. He made one of those against the Jets. And just overall above 50, he's been pretty good. He's above the league average uh, kicking from over 60 yards. On extra points, he's been good. He's only missed one of those. But his problem is that on sub-50 kicks, he's been by far the worst kicker in the league. Only made 62.5% of his sub-50-yard kicks from 2018 through 19. That was by far the worst in the league. And Ficken wasn't too far ahead of him. So uh, with Maher, at least you have some upside that, you know, maybe he figures it out, can get his short-range kicking in order, and you have some of this incredible distance. And he's been uh, very consistent on extra points as well. Ficken doesn't really have that upside. He's been not quite as bad as Maher in the short range, but he's Ficken's still been below average in every single range of the field uh, throughout his career. And most of those kicks were with the Jets. He didn't get too many opportunities with the Rams, only six with them. But he was only made three of those kicks with the Rams and came over to the Jets, and he struggled last season. So Maher definitely has more upside, but the floor is just as low as Ficken because of his struggles in the short range. And on kickoffs, both of them are pretty average, but Maher last season was 26th in the league in uh, average opponent field goal – 26th in the league in hang time on kickoffs and 27th in average opponent field position. So Maher also struggled on kickoffs. Ficken, uh, Ficken was a little more average. He was ninth in hang time on kickoffs, 17th in average opponent field position. So an edge for Ficken in that spot. But overall, it's just not too promising. Neither of these, neither of these guys have ever been uh, in a top of the line kicker, uh, and obviously neither of them have even gotten too many opportunities to do that. So perhaps they do improve a little bit with some more uh, with some more opportunities. But uh, it's tough. You're looking at two of the four worst kickers and field goal percentage from last season, and that's not too promising. So I think the best case is that Maher kind of figures it out, gets some of his short-range problems, fixes those, and maybe gets back to a close to league average level, uh, and then is able to take some of what he can do uh, from distance and make an impact that way. Because he has just been – he's been really good from long distance. Like I mentioned, those records with the 60-yarders. But uh, And actually last season he became the first kicker ever to make two 60-yarders in one season, and he did that in back-to-back weeks. So there's some potential with him, but the floor is extremely low, as as is it as it is with Ficken. So hopefully this doesn't come back to bite the Jets. Let's talk backup quality players. Michael, some of these guys may be backups in the present tense, but they've got some upside. The receivers stick out to me specifically. I know there are people that expect some big leaps from Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios, and I don't mean that they're going to turn into all pro wide receivers, but just that they could be much more useful than a lot of people seem to believe. Vincent Smith in particular has gotten a lot of buzz. Tell me about how you broke these guys down. Yeah, so for backup quality players, I went with eight of them. As you mentioned, Berrios and Smith at receiver. On the O-line, Brian Winters, Chuma Idoga, George Fant, Quincy Wilson at corner, Frank Gore running back, and Trevon Wesco at tight end. So I think most of these guys will be in the backup role that they're probably most suited to be in talent-wise. And at receiver, Smith is really interesting. Uh, and, and both of them are very good returners. We're top three. Uh, Barrios was third in the league in punt return average. Smith second in kickoff return average. But as receivers... I think you saw Barrios show in that Raiders game some speed on that 69-yard catch and run that he had. 
Vincent Smith yards after catch. He was at the 87th percentile among receivers. So I think with Smith in particular, you have some gadget upside there. There's also that flea flicker against the Giants that probably should have been a touchdown. Sam Darnold missed him. Uh, he had the end around touchdown against the Eagles, a couple of big plays late in the game against the, in the second game against the Dolphins. So uh, I, I like Smith's gadget potential. Maybe he's not a good all around receiver, but he's got some speed with the ball in his hands. And so maybe he can make some plays in that role. But looking at the O-line, these are three guys who one of them are, is going to be starting for sure in either a Doga or Fant. Uh, and neither of them have shown to be better than backup quality so far, but they both have the potential to be a little bit better. George Fant has only started barely more than one season's worth of games in his career. In, in terms of playing the entire game, not just getting credit for the start, he's only started and finished 18 games in his career. So maybe there's some untapped potential there, even though he's 28 years old. And Idoga's obviously only going into his second season. So maybe one of those guys progress, but until they do, uh, they're going to be a backup quality player starting on the right side. Uh, and Brian Winters, to me, I know he started for the Jets for quite a while, but I see him as a backup quality talent. His pass protection always shows up as an issue. And then Quincy Wilson has uh, obviously some upside as a former second-round pick. He was pretty solid his first two seasons, but really fell off the cliff last uh, last year. So hopefully the Jets can help him get back up to par. Frank Gore running back. Uh, I, I think uh, you know what you're getting with Frank Gore, some leadership off the field. He'll change the pace and uh, give you some good downhill power, uh, but his efficiency just has not been there for quite a while. And Teron Wesco at tight end, uh, I think his blocking can be a huge X factor because uh, you look at the top of this unit, Chris Herndon, Ryan Griffin, not a lot to speak of there in terms of blocking. I think Herndon can be average, but you really need Wesco to pick up some slack there. And he did a good job getting some snaps at fullback late in the season. And even when he was at tight end, improved his blocking after a tough start. So hopefully Wesco can give them that blocking presence at tight end. And then you have the starters broken down. And we'll start with the ones that you consider below average to average. There's an interesting list here. And the way that you tiered this out is kind of fascinating because some people are going to disagree with your categorization of somebody as an average starter or a below average starter. But what went into deciding who got put into those categories? So the first thing I did was take the rookies and kind of separate them because it's so hard to pair them up when you haven't seen them play yet uh, with veteran players. So and I went with Ashton Davis, Jabari Zuniga, LaMichael Pirine, Cameron Clark, and Bryce Hall. I think those guys are going to compete for a backup spot in the present. Obviously, I think that well, they all do have starter upside long-term because you just don't know that potential is going to be there no matter who it is. So, And especially on this team with the Jets having weakness at, at the edge spot, at the offensive line, at cornerback, and then in the case of Pirine, maybe getting rid of Le'Veon Bell next season. And for Davis, we don't know what will go on with Jamal Adams. So long-term, all these guys have a very clear path starting for the Jets. But for now, it seems like all of them will be competing for backup roles. And we'll see how they produce in those. There's no way to tell until they actually hit the field. But to look at the veteran players, I listed five players here as borderline low-level starters and high-level backups. Guys who, if they're starting for you, are probably going to be near the bottom among starters. But if their backups are probably better than most backups. So I went with Joe Flacco at quarterback, Arthur Millette at corner, and then three linebackers, James Burgess, Neville Hewitt, and Patrick Owasso. So I think Flacco fits this perfectly. He was not a very good starter for the Ravens over the past few seasons, which is 
part of why he got benched for a rookie quarterback a couple years ago, even though the Ravens were winning a lot of games with him starting. Um, he's been below average pretty much across the board for the past few years now. Arthur Millette, I think, fits this as well. He played like a good starter in the second half of last season, but the Jets are playing a lot of bad quarterbacks. Uh, and Millette at this point doesn't have much development to do considering he's later into his career. So I think he's a good role player and he has his strengths. He's very good coming downhill and tackling. But in terms of coverage, I don't think he's starter quality there. So he is he filled his role really well for them last season. But ideally, I think he's your fourth or third cornerback at best. And then those linebackers, Burgess and Hewitt came in and the Jets are playing good. They continue to play good defense with them in there, even without Mosley and Williamson. But both those guys, I think, struggled a lot more than uh, most people realize. They missed a lot of tackles. Their coverage was questionable. So the Jets are succeeding more in spite of them than because of them. But I still think they're high-level backups uh, just because they both have skills that in small samples can work out really well. Burgess is good coming downhill and finishing against the run. He's really good at shooting through gaps and finishing when the defensive line opens up the holes for him. He was a really good pass rusher. He put up some good pressure numbers. Uh, and Owasso is kind of the same as he, a really good pass rusher at his best. So I think all three of those guys can give you, can help you a lot in a niche role, but if they're starting for you, you're probably going to have some issues starting for you for a long period of time. If they start in one game, if Burgess, Hewitt, or Owasso is, I think you could do a lot worse than that. But over the course of a whole season, as we saw last year, uh, it, they're probably going to be liabilities for you. But that's why I think all five of these guys fit that description. If they're a starter, they're probably lower level. But as a backup, uh, can't ask for too much better. And then as for the projected starters, or guys who do have starter quality talent, but are just on the lower end of that spectrum, for the below average starters, I put four names in here. Henry Anderson, Pierre Desir, Alex Lewis, and Rashad Perriman. So with with Perriman, I think there's a little bit of projection there just because for the most part in his career, he hasn't even been a starter quality player. Uh, The five games that he had down the stretch last season were the first of his career in which he put up even four receptions uh, in a game. Or actually, he didn't have a game with five receptions in a game before December of last season. So that's not starter quality talent. For a guy who's been in the league since 2015, uh, he did miss his whole rookie season, but uh, played from 2016 through 18 and most of 2019, having never caught five passes in a game. So there's some projection there, but the talent he showed uh, in December was legitimate enough and explosive enough to where you can consider him as a baseline, a below average starter right now. And Alex Lewis, I think uh, his grades at PFF, as we talked about on a recent episode, have been mostly well below average, but I think he's better than that. So I'll just go with below average. I think that's a good place to put him. Pierre Desir is interesting. He had a solid season in 2018, but took a big step back last year. So again, I think this is a good middle ground for him between his high points and his low points. And then Henry Anderson, uh, if we were doing this a year ago, I'd probably be considering him a good to very good starter. He had a phenomenal season with the Jets. Uh, his first season in 2018 created a ton of pressure. It wasn't just the sacks, his pressure numbers. Uh, I believe he was 11th among interior D linemen and pressures that season. Uh, but took a huge step back. He dropped from 48 pressures, which was, excuse me, 12th among interior D linemen to 18 in 2019. That was 56th. So he took a huge step back was not a 
was a well below average starter this year, even though I do think his run defense is solid. But I think the main thing that he was signed to do, uh, re-signed to do to a pretty expensive deal was to rush the quarterback as he did in 2018. And he wasn't doing that really at all this past season. So I think below again, is a good middle ground for him. He's probably worse than that last year, but he's also a lot better than that in 2018. So we can settle on below average for Henry Anderson. Uh, just to touch on Denzel Mims, I actually put him in his own tier. I think he can be better than some of those other rookies I averaged right now. And then his ceiling is probably a little higher as well. So I called him below average in the present, but star upside long-term. And to look at some of the average starters, I put six of them here. Three edge rushers, Terrell Basham, Jordan Jenkins, Kyle Phillips, Ryan Griffin at tight end, Greg Van Rowen at guard, and Bless Austin at cornerback. So the edge guys, I think that all three of them are pretty much about average players. Kyle Phillips is a little more extreme in his skill set than the other two. He's a very good run defender, but did not produce much at all as a pass rusher. So those two sides kind of balance out for him. Basham and Jenkins, I think both of them, you know what you're getting. Pretty high motor, guys who can chase down the play and clean it up, set the edge decently, even if they're not dominant in that role. Then as pass rushers are below average, but not awful, and pretty much rounding out to uh, pretty average overall. And both of them do uh, contribute in coverage more so than a lot of other edge rushers do. And they both do a decent job in that, in that role. Basham, I think is a little bit better. You saw him made that, make that interception against Pittsburgh late in the season. He had a pass deflection against the, uh, against Washington as well. So uh, those two guys, I think are about average as are Phillips and then Austin at cornerback. I think Austin has star upside. I really think he does. But for now, uh, as a guy who did get benched at the end of last season, uh, and only had a, a short stretch of good play, it would be a little too optimistic to call him a star or really good uh, to this point. But he played like a good starter last year. So I think average is a good place to put him, but he could be a lot better than that. And Ryan Griffin at tight end, I think he's a solid receiver. He was very efficient for them in terms of uh, didn't have too many drops, put up a good first down rate in yards per target, but his blocking is a huge weakness. So I think Griffin's pretty average there. And then Greg Van Roten, I, his as we mentioned on the podcast about uh, the offensive line projections, his grades have been very good. He was 70th percentile uh, around there among guards at PFF last year. But watching him, I think he's definitely lower. Uh, converse, conversely to Alex Lewis, I think he's probably not quite as good as that. But uh, I think a middle ground for him calling Van Roten average makes sense. He might even be a little bit less than that. But we'll settle on average and see how it plays out with this new team, especially if he is moving over to right guard, which he hasn't played on the right side in the NFL, which isn't a huge transition, but it is something to keep an eye on if he does play at right guard. But I think for all six of those guys, uh, average makes sense. And all of them could be – I think all of them could be starting for them. Ryan Griffin will probably be taking a slight step back in terms of snaps if Herndon comes back. Uh, and we'll see if Bless Austin is able to reclaim Greg Williams' trust and win one of those starting cornerback spots. But all six of these guys, I think it's fair to say, have average starter kind of talent. 
And that's going to wrap up part one of this discussion on the Michael Nania tier system here on Chronicles of Nania. We're going to get into part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you're reading Michael's work over at JetsXFactor.com and following him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time. Doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.